This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in uh, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 19. We are in the last paragraph here of Proverbs 19. Picking up where we left off last week. Proverbs 19. Help if I could type. What is desirable in a man is his kindness, is his chesed. And it is better to be a poor man than a liar. And so we spent a couple of classes actually looking at the tandem of grace and truth, the tandem of what the Old Testament presents as chesed and ameth, grace and truth. New Testament, of course, presents it as charis and uh, aletheia and uh, the issues there. So as we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father for his blessing upon our time together. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, thankful for your truth, thankful for the blessings we have to assemble together, and calling upon your faithfulness, Father, during this time, asking that you would set aside distractions and bless our time of study, asking that you would reward the faithfulness of those that have assembled to receive instruction, Father. They are presenting themselves before you as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I pray, Father, that the word of God as it goes forth this morning will not be impaired in any way on the part of any human weaknesses on the part of the hearers or on the part of the speaker. Father, uh, open our eyes to your truth, soften our hearts. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me advance the slideshow to where we were so we can advance. We've done a lot. We've absolutely done a lot. Those are too small to read. All right, get past that. The ideal man. Conform to the image of God's Son. This is the man of desire, the ideal man. It's a picture of Jesus Christ himself, and it's a picture of all of us. Those of us that want to become Christ-like, those of us that want to be conformed to the image of his Son, which is what we're actually predestined to become. And so uh, we allow the Word of God to transform us, and we rejoice in that transformation. And the more Christ-like we become, the more grace and truth uh, is manifest in and through us. So we looked at those things. Then we moved on to verse 23. And we've been talking about the fear of the Lord versus the fear of God. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Oh, I see what I lost. I lost my uh, little down arrow there. Let me get that back. There we go. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. And so uh, we spent last week talking about the fear of the Lord and uh, the positive benefits of this fear. We're commanded to have this fear. We must have this fear. And this is not because uh, we're scared. It's not, uh, you know, that kind of fear is, is uh, the, the carnal fear is uh, produced because of a lack of faith. When you don't have faith in God, then you get scared and uh, problems and other things. Plus, there's normal human 
fear that uh, part of the survival instinct of, of the physical human body. But godly fear, same word, same Hebrew word, same Greek word, the same English word, fear, um, when you do have faith. And so that's when you have faith before the Lord and, and your eyes are fixed on him and you fear him rather than man. And so because you have the fear of the Lord working on your behalf, then uh, you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and anywhere else that the Lord would have you walking. And uh, you're not afraid of those circumstances. What what shall I fear? What can man do unto me? Because uh, because I'm serving the Lord. And uh, and that's the benefit there. So that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil and the benefit of being able to rest and the blessings of faith rest that allow you to uh, what's the expression uh, that let go and let God, I think became popular uh, here a little few years ago, but uh, you know, so it's trite and whatever, but I like it. Um, let go and let God. That's, that's the, the best part when you uh, make it a prayer item and you've given it to the Lord. Well then let it go. Don't uh, try to hold on to some of it or try to handle some of it or help God out in answering your prayers. He doesn't need your help to answer your prayers. And uh, the blessings we have here is to uh, to stand fast and see. The great instructions that God gave Moses at the Red Sea was to stand fast and see and watch the salvation of the Lord. And uh, that's that's good instruction for all of us when uh, when we're standing there at our Red Sea moment. Because uh, let's face it, the Red Sea moment is, is when you're boxed into a corner and there's no human solution. What are you going to do? You know, and uh, and so we have those moments. And uh, thankfully, our God knows about these and he's made provision before the, the foundation of the world. So uh, we talked about the fear of the Lord and saw some of the expressions last week. Um, this is the 12th time that Proverbs has featured the fear of the Lord. We looked at each of those. There are two more yet to come. One more coming up in Proverbs 22 and the last one coming up in Proverbs 23. And curiously enough, beyond Proverbs, there's only seven other uses outside of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Most of them, well, three of them are in Psalms. And then uh, these other texts that we looked at as well, Isaiah 11, uh, characteristic of Jesus Christ on his millennial throne, by the way, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 33, Jonah, when uh, when the sailors tossed him overboard, which is curious because those are Gentiles, Gentile sailors with uh, with the fear of Yahweh. And there's uh, there's a blessing there. And um, much more common than the fear of Yahweh is the fear of Elohim. More common than the fear of Yahweh is the fear of Elohim going back to Genesis 20 where Abimelech, the king of uh, the Philistines, had the fear of God, the fear of Elohim, uh, and uh, and these other uses. And so as we were running out of time, I was considering what the differences might be between fear of the Lord and fear of Elohim. Um, are the terms, I mean, let's face it, Elo, Yahweh is Elohim. We're only talking about the same God. And so if you fear him, you're fearing him, regardless of what name you call him. You can call him God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can call him Elohim, call him Yahweh, call him Jehovah Tzidkini, whatever you want to call him. It's the same God. There's only one God, the uh, the unique creator God of the universe. And so whichever name you fear him by is, uh, in my mind, uh, I guess I want to say it's irrelevant because we're fearing the same God no matter what we call him. Nevertheless, uh, having said that, I still think that perhaps there are some some distinctions that someday I would like to know better about. Uh, I won't have that information for you this morning because I haven't figured it out yet. But uh, perhaps there uh, there is a vital 
distinction between the uh, fear of Yahweh and the fear of Elohim. I just uh, I just haven't found it yet. So there you have it. Uh, the fear of the Lord versus the fear of Elohim. And as we're looking at it and as we're seeing the benefits to this, I think the last expression is what I'm going to key on, because I think the last expression here that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That uh, this is a, this is a, a, an immediate effect. Of course, there's other benefits. Fear of the Lord, you know, is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord uh, is pure. There's a lot of things uh, with respect to the fear of the Lord that um, I think we saw last week. Yeah, we looked at all of these last week. Psalm 19.9, do you remember that? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This is in the stretch where we have, um, starting with verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is, is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So you take those six items in those three verses and you list them out there and you realize you want all of them. And uh, we want to embrace all of them and, and we want to experience all six of these of these benefits and uh, and these consequences. So the fear of the Lord has several consequences. What um, Proverbs 19 is stressing I thought this would be easier than that. Here we go. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that, and here's the consequence Proverbs 19 is highlighting, one may sleep satisfied untouched by evil. And the absolute confidence we have, whether we're awake or we're asleep, um, everywhere we go at all hours of the day and night is that we are walking the uh, the walk of fear, the, the walk of fearing the Lord. And uh, in that walk, there's no better place to be. Uh, you are you are so intimate with God that that uh, you're not tossing and turning, wondering about all the, the, the things that didn't get done today that you got to get done tomorrow. OK. Interesting morning to preach this since I had a terrible night sleeping last night. Um, clearly, uh, God did that so that I could illustrate the verse here this morning. <laughs> um, I don't think I was touched by evil last night, though, and that's what we're going to talk about. Visited by evil. Uh, and I was definitely not visited by evil last night. And so my illustration breaks down here. But let's let's consider this. What does it mean to be visited? And uh, then the Bible talks about visited. And we've we've had visitation um, lessons before in the Life of David series, I remember very specifically. And uh, there have been other Bible classes and in uh, Life of Christ, I think, and, and, and on other occasions, we talk about a visitation. And that's the Hebrew term here, uh, on, that uh, we're not visited by evil. And a visitation is more than just an appearance. It's more than just a... Um, uh, a manifestation one time only, a visitation when God visits, when his word visits, when evil visits, when when uh, whatever it is you're talking about, a visitation comes and stays. And usually if it's God, he's going to be investigating our life. He's going to be uh, testing us in some regard. So uh, the, the visitation is significant. 
And uh, we have it in, in a variety of places throughout the Old Testament. So, and I think what we see here is what follows then in these uh, verses to the end of the chapter. So that one may sleep satisfied, unvisited, not or untouched. I think the footnote here says not visited. Yeah, not visited by evil. And really what then follows? I think the rest of these verses are describing outworkings of what happens when you are visited by evil. What happens when, uh, in a sense, God gives you over to this kind of a visitation? And so we see the effects of being visited. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. And so there's a character. We've seen him before, but now we're seeing kind of the pinnacle. This is like the ultimate sluggard. If there was a, and I'll talk about him here shortly, uh, but there's that. So you have the sluggard character in verse 24. You've got the scoffer in verse 25. You've got the uh, the abusive child in verse 26 who assaults his father and drives his mother away. Um, all of these verses, really down to the end of the chapter, you find, I think, portrayed for us to consider this visitation by evil and how horrendous it is and what uh, the effects that it has uh, on uh, on a believer who should know better, on someone who should be fearing the Lord, on someone who should be uh, sleeping satisfied, untouched by evil. All right, so let's go ahead and advance and uh, and deal with this then under point 17. Evil visits the one who does not fear the Lord. All right, and that's just straight up, that's just what it states here in uh, in verse 23. That if you're not fearing the Lord, evil's going to visit. There's nothing to stop it from visiting. According to this passage, it's uh, it's the fear of the Lord producing this abundant life that keeps uh that keeps you from being touched by evil. So if you don't want to be uh, if you don't want evil to visit your life, then uh fear of the Lord is what you need. All right. So evil visits the one who does not fear the Lord. And the six closing verses of this chapter illustrate a variety of such visitations. And I think we're seeing extremes in all of these. We're seeing characters that we've seen before, but now we're seeing them above and beyond. Now we're seeing them in a portrayal that is uh, beyond things that we've seen previously. I mean, we've seen sluggers before, but this is like, the ultimate slugger. This guy's so lazy, he can't even get his hand to his mouth. He just, you know, he gets his hand to the dish, and that's that's about all he can handle, okay? And so, although we have seen sluggards previously, uh, nothing like this. This is uh, this is this is off the charts, out of control. And uh, and sometimes we wonder, what is this? We 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 realize, wait a minute, I've got this. You know, believers have observed that um, through their Christian walk, they've had areas of weakness, they've had struggles, um, but it just seems like maybe they've got a, a besetting sin that tends to re- return more frequently than, than other sins. And uh, and the more frequently that it returns, they observe it more and more, and then they observe that it's getting worse. The uh, the uh, damage is greater, the, 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 the time of carnality is prolonged longer. Uh, between, you know, the, the time gets longer between confessions and, and you find uh, yourself logging more time in carnality 
and um, and because you're taking too long to confess, your restoration of fellowship is delayed. And so um, what you end up doing is minimizing your time in spirituality and more and more you're maximizing your time in in carnality. And uh, that's a that's a nightmare road. You want to get you got to get off that path and, uh, and 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 reverse that pattern. Get back to where you're keeping the short accounts and you're minimizing the carnality seasons and you're you're uh, maximizing your your spirituality times and you're being, you're able to head off the uh, the sin before it happens to reject it uh, as a temptation and and not go carnal at all in uh, in those circumstances. And so. Um, part of what I'm describing here, of course, I'm using New Testament terminology and I'm using doctrinal expressions that I think we're all familiar with and, and comfortable with as, as church age believers. But now take, take all of these concepts and bring it into, um, really into consideration in, in this vocabulary, in this expression, visited by evil, visited by evil. And uh, what are the consequences when you lose the fear of the Lord? And what are the manifestations of a of an evil visit? When uh, when because uh, that's to me temptations are hard enough on their own without having evil mixed in, the, a visitation of evil compiled with those sin temptations. Uh, to me, that's just the the train wreck waiting to happen. All right, hopefully that makes sense. Starting with what I'm calling the supreme sluggard, okay? Well, the sluggard has been seen before. This is the sluggard supreme, you know, which is a little bit amusing because most sluggards would never expend the energy necessary to try to attain a a title like the supreme sluggard. But be that as it may, as ironic as this title might be, uh, the sluggard has been seen before. And we can take a look at these way back in chapter 6, chapter 12, chapter 15. This portrayal, though, is what's called hyperbole, a hyperbolic portrayal. In other words, it is so extreme, you can't imagine anybody lazier than this. It, it would just boggle the mind to try to, try to, it would, you know, the most creative writer in the world couldn't, couldn't invent a fictional sluggard more uh, more more lazy than uh, than what we see here, not even getting his hand out of the dish. Okay, so let's um, review these verses. Proverbs six. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? You know, natural question. Every uh, uh, every par- <clears throat> parent has asked similar questions, trying to get their kids up for school, things of that nature. Uh, and, and here's the answer. Just a little bit more. Okay. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. This is the, uh, the Hebrew origins of the, of the snooze button on your, uh, on your alarm clock. Just a little bit more. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. But notice, and, and that little ditty, that song, by the way, gets repeated multiple times throughout, uh, throughout Proverbs. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. You are um, setting up a pattern for yourself that leads to um, leads to poverty. It leads to a very financially humble life because you've developed uh, you've developed lazy lifestyle. And uh, there's consequences for that. 
So this uh, this was our first look at it and uh, dealt with it there. All right. That's verses 10 or 9 and 10, maybe 9, 10 and 11. Chapter 12 and verse 27. Proverbs 12, 27, a lazy man does not roast his prey. So now this is an acceleration. This is uh, this is uh, a step up, uh, more lazy than the guy in chapter 6. And uh, when you're too lazy to cook your food, um, what does that tell you? But the precious possession, there's a footnote there as well, or catch his prey, catch his prey. And I forget which of those options I thought was preferable back, you might Look back through your notes and see which of those translations I preferred when we were back in chapter 12. But the point being is that, uh, you know, the sluggard would rather somebody else do all the work for him. You know, he'd like to eat, but uh, it's just a lot of work to catch the thing and then to to, to kill it and to skin it and to, and to cook it. And uh, and it's, you know, it's, life is better when everybody else does that for you. And, uh, and all you have to do is just simply eat what's uh what's put in front of you all right and uh so there's the there's the sluggard there yeah slackness all right chapter 15 and verse 19 oh, i just can't type this morning there we go the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns but the path of the upright is a highway and so we we realize it's a spiritual issue being a sluggard, the laziness is is not just a personality quirk. It's um, it's completely a different path from the upright. It's completely beyond what it is that God expects for us to do in the Christian way of life, and uh, and it gets us nowhere. It's just it's as if uh, it's, uh, it becomes itself an obstacle to doing anything productive. That it's uh, like trying to get through a hedge of thorns. It hurts to bust your way through there, and so. Uh, you know, the lazy person says, well, why bother? It's not worth the effort. Whereas if you're walking the straight and narrow, if you're upright, if you're fearing the Lord, if you're keeping your eyes fixed on him, uh, then, hey, life's a lot smoother, isn't it? It uh, becomes the uh, the highway there in that in that metaphor. So that's the uh, the sluggard. But when, by the time we get to chapter 19, though, we we're dealing with hyperbole. We're dealing with an extreme and hyperbole is um, it's a legitimate rhetorical device. It's used in any number of, of different uh, genres of literature. The Bible uses it uh, in, in various settings. I think Jesus used it. I think it's it's very useful. Paul used it when uh, he was talking about spiritual gifts and and uh, why uh, agape love has to be paramount. So Paul used a hyperbole in, in uh that first Corinthians 13 passage. Anyway, the hyperbole here is that the guy is just so lazy that uh, it's, it's too much effort to take, uh, to put your hand to your mouth in Proverbs 19:24. You know, so he buries his hand in the dish. So, I mean, we understand putting our hand in the dish. You gotta, you gotta reach to your plate to, to, to get your next bite. Um, but you don't bury your hand in the dish unless uh, you're really that, Sluggardish, uh, sluggardish, sluggish, sluggish. All right. Um, essentially, you, the hand only stays in the dish long enough to to get the the, the food you're grabbing and, and and bring it to your mouth. That's the whole point there. I mean, come on, two year olds have this figured out. 
you know, it doesn't take long and, and uh, toddlers figure out pretty quickly that, uh, that they can grab things and they can manipulate things and they can put things in their mouth. They love doing that. And uh, but this guy is so, so lazy, he won't even do that. So once he gets his hand there, eh, okay, we'll just leave it there. It's comfortable, <laughs> you know. So it's as if the hand is buried, and uh, that's where it's going to stay. So this is a hyperbolic portrayal, and uh, and and as as that extreme, we realize that this is the portrayal we're given immediately after we just had that that verse talking about the uh, the visitation of evil. What happens when uh, when evil is visiting? And uh, and this uh, again, I would I would just say this is uh, this is representative of the permissive will of God for a believer now for a believer who who should know better, you know. And um, Solomon himself is is uh, going to be an illustration of this. I think uh, David would have seasons where evil visited him and visited his household. Uh, before David, there was Saul who experienced several visitations in the in the form of uh demons in the form of uh of uh of evil that uh, even drove him out of his mind where he was throwing spears around and trying to kill david and and uh, and different aspects there so um clearly the the fear of the lord is is not only commanded but it is absolutely necessary it uh, gives us the abundant life. It gives us faith, rest, the, the ability to sleep satisfied, and it keeps those visitation uh, episodes away, right? Like um, if we can adapt the an apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? Let's adapt that that um, whoever invented that maxim. Uh, somebody can look that up. Not now, but after class, find out who uh, probably Ben Franklin and poor Richard's almanac or something. But anyway, I doubt that. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. How about the fear of the Lord keeps the the visitation from evil away? And that's what we're dealing with here. So that we don't put ourselves in the, the category of these last six verses. This is just horrible. Um, down to the end of the chapter. All right. So a lazy guy has a uh, extreme. The final two uh, passages that deal with laziness, they're actually prolonged. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Let me go ahead and move this up here now. We're still learning how to do this because I know I'm blocking most of the slide by putting the Bible window up there. All right. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. So now now we actually have prolonged passages, lengthy passages, multiple verses connected, centering on the sluggard. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense or deficient in heart. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. So that's not going to be a productive vineyard. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Remember that? This was a song he sang as a child when his dad was asking him, how long are you going to be a sluggard? And he's still singing it. He's still singing it a generation later. And clearly, it's uh, it's led to heart failure, what we call heart deficient. 
the lacking sense idiom from verse 30. And, uh, and his vineyard is useless. Overgrown with thistles, that's not going to be productive. Uh, covered with nettles, the stone wall broken down. There is, uh, there is going to be no productivity in a vineyard like that. And, uh, if the, if the sluggard even cares about it, there's nothing he's going to do about it because he's still singing this song. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest. Your poverty will come as a robber and you want like an armed man. Remember that? That's what your dad told you. And uh, those words come back to uh, to haunt you uh, 18 chapters later. If I did the math right. From chapter 6 to chapter 24. Okay. From one generation to the next. And uh, those words come back to haunt you. How about Proverbs 26? 13 to 16. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. There's always an excuse. For the person who doesn't want to go to work, there's always an excuse. Okay? These days we'd say there's a coronavirus out there. And someone's going to, I'm going to catch it. And uh, only 98.9% of people survive it. So what am I going to do? You know, I, I better stay home. Anyway. Don't get me going on that. There's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, okay, here's a here's a a uh, image for you. So does the sluggard on his bed. <laughs> so it's just rolling over. There he goes, like he's uh, he's a door on the hinges, and uh, he's not ready to get out of bed. He's just going to roll over again. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. Remember this? Yeah, that's where we are this morning. The uh, the passage from uh, from chapter 19 gets restated here. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. The worst part is, is it's no use trying to talk doctrine with a guy because he knows better. He's smarter than you and six of your smartest friends. And what are you going to tell him anyway? And... Uh, Really, it's not a it's it's a sin issue. It's a it's a pride issue. It's a it's a spiritual deficiency at this point. It's uh, it's pretty sad. So wiser in his own eyes. If uh, you you've probably learned this over the years. Um, if if you've ever encountered a, a know it all, um, they're hard to talk to. <laughs> okay, and uh, because everything you tell them is wrong, and uh, and they know better, and. Uh, even the things that, that they're telling you that you that you know are wrong, uh, you can't you can't change their minds. You can't you can't even bring up proof or evidence or, or Bible or whatever. I mean, their minds are made up. And uh, I think this verse here gets illustrated pretty well in that uh, in that sense. Wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. So there there we have it. All right. So I'm calling him the supreme. Sluggard. Who else do we have? In verse 25, the stricken scoffer. The stricken scoffer receiving blows on the back. We've encountered this a couple times too. The idea of, of corporal punishment for adults is uh, no longer practiced really in, uh, in uh, America anyway. We uh, no longer practice any kind of, of corporal discipline. Uh, but it used to be until not too long ago uh, that it was still um, a valid judicial sentence that could be executed uh, related to things. In colonial times, it was very common for uh, to receive the lash, to receive blows on the back. 
and uh, and even beyond the colonial era in uh, much of the, the early history of, of America. Really, I think it started to fade out in the 20th century, and, and we discussed this, I think, back in Chapter 9, if I remember, but um, the prevalence of, of corporal discipline uh, for an adult recipient. It's still in the world today in a variety of places. You know, go to Singapore and bring your spray paint, and uh, you'll find out, like that uh, that t- American teenager all those years ago, he got caned. He got caught um, doing the graffiti in uh, in Singapore, and he got caned. And uh, the uh, uh, you know the the judicial administration of a caning on his uh, on his hindquarters. <laughs> okay, man. And uh, you know which does some does some very excellent things because you know he'll never do it again. And beyond him never doing it again, everyone that heard that story will never ever do it even once, because uh, you know you learn you learn from that knucklehead, and that's what we see also here in verse 25. Strike a scoffer, and pithy may become shrewd. So this stricken scoffer, there's really no hope for him. He's uh, he's beyond hope. Uh, but other people can learn from his example. So the stricken scoffer, you're going to come back again in verse in the same chapter down in verse 29. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and blows for the back of fools, blows for the back of fools. And so um, I, <clears throat> I don't know how uh, how much better would our culture be if we still had this, you know, if um, if we still had um, the lash, if you will. and uh, as as we had in colonial times, the idea that uh, you know would you would you take a dozen lashes uh, as opposed to a year in jail? Okay, you know it, it's it's something to consider, and uh, you know think about the uh, the the saving of the expense <laughs> if we're housing people in in prison for year after year after year. If uh, if there were other alternative venues. To, uh, to administer a, uh, a punitive sentence. Anyway. And one especially that would lead to less crime. As, uh, you know, there's very little graffiti in Singapore. As, uh, evidenced by how infrequently we hear the news of, of, uh, American teenagers and their spray paint. Doesn't happen that often. As, uh, the, uh, Pethy becomes shrewd and says, ooh, I want to, don't want to get caught doing that. All right. The scoffer himself is hopeless. And that, that's uh, been presented several times in Proverbs. Really, um, you know, he's, he's reached a point where he's, he's, he's willfully defiant of Scripture. He's not going to listen to anything. And the, the very act of scoffing shows the contempt that he has for divine revelation. Um, you know. You can talk to him about scripture and he's going to dismiss it out of hand because you're a, you're a fool for even believing that thing anyway. And so what's the, what's the scoffer going to listen to? What's the scoffer going to learn? So hopefully you remember these Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. There's backlash that comes back to you and, and what are you really doing? And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. So not responded to, not appreciated. Reprove a scoff, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. 
reprove a wise man and he will love you. So, um, you know, understand your audience, understand who you're dealing with and, and the person you're addressing. And are you even in a position where you should be reproving the scoffer? What what makes you think that that you have that duty anyway? And then if, if it is your duty, why? Uh, what what effect do you think it's going to have? Because the scoffer is uh, totally dismissive of, of scriptural authority. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. The utter disdain and pride and arrogance that feeds this scoffing, because it's it's so beneath you, it's so ridiculous related to that, related to anything. Proverbs fifteen twelve. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him; he will not go to the wise. That's not his thing. I mean, he'll probably tolerate you. He'll probably, uh, he'll smile. He'll think it's cute that you still go to church or that you believe in God or whatever. And, you know, it really doesn't bother him terribly. If, if you want to be a biblically moral person, okay, you know, fine. You know, just keep it to yourself. Don't bother him about it, though. That's uh, that's the attitude there. I think we all know folks like that. Proverbs 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows, <laughs> than a hundred blows into a fool. So I think when we're dealing with uh, the character here, it's uh, again, it's an extreme. It's a pinnacle. It's not that different from the the verses we've seen previously. Uh, but to the uh, to the point that it is an extreme, that it does reflect again, like like I've been saying, the the visitation by evil. It's uh, it's a curious thing that that uh, we have it illustrated in this way. All right. His example may help others. So think about what God does there too. When he allows evil to run its course, he even sends the visitation there. Remember the, I mean, this could be curious too. Proverbs, uh, if we need uh, 1 Kings 22.22, we need a good illustration here. We have a heavenly scene and um, every once in a while, I, I go back to this passage and I think about it. Micaiah, this is First Kings 22, and I'm trying to use this to illustrate the visitation by evil that, that Proverbs 19 is, is talking about. Uh, the prophet Micaiah in First Kings 22 says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. Okay, and we know what divides them right and left. That some of the host of heaven is, has 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 fought, rebelled, fallen Satan, and and you know followed after Satan. We understand it to be a third of the heavenly host followed after Satan in his rebellion, whereas two thirds, as we understand it, stayed faithful. And so the fact that they uh, still have access to the throne is uh, is seen in several passages. The fact that they file accusations in the courtroom is, uh, again, attested to in several passages of Scripture. But here we see that they're they're volunteering for uh, for assignments, volunteering for duty assignments, uh, right? So you could think of these as a bunch of guys just hanging out in a Home Depot parking lot, waiting to jump in a pickup truck and go to work for the day, and uh, a bunch of a bunch of fallen angels hanging out there, and uh, evil spirits waiting. 
just licking their chops, waiting for uh, permissive will of God to go um, go uh, achieve some mischief. And um, so the Lord says, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. So um, he throws the offer out there, and there's a and there's a discussion amongst themselves. Ooh, that sounds good. Ooh, I'll do that. Yeah. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. Okay. And you wonder what, you know, the this and that were all about. One said this, one another said that. They're probably debating whether it was worth it or not or why they would bother or what they would do. But this spirit decided to end the debate. He quits talking amongst his 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 peers and he approaches the Lord on the throne. Says, I'll do it. I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And so the Lord said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. And and this is, to me, a marvelous narrative that defines the permissive will of God and the circumstances in which God uh, directs and permits for the visitation by evil into the life of someone that requires discipline or lessons to be learned or some other such thing. And so this is uh, this is what happens. And and uh, just like Job and, and, and Satan, when Satan visited him on those uh, on those occasions, uh, it's, it's all within the permissive will of God, what it is that the father permits. And so these are the things that we see and, and we see them in the Old Testament. We see them in the New Testament. I think in the New Testament, we have Romans one where believers are given over. And that the sadness of being given over to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper is another expression here. The third character is the shameful son. He's violent and abusive, plundering instead of inheriting. Plundering instead of inheriting. The shameful son is violent and abusive, plundering instead of inheriting. And... um We'll take a look at him here in Proverbs 19:26. Oh, I'm covering up the slide again. This is going to get worse in the new building because not only do we have the Bible window covering the slide, but we're going to have a, a video camera image of uh, of me in the pulpit covering part of the slide. So. What I'm going to spend this afternoon doing is redesigning all my slide layouts so that they don't go lower than uh, than what we have here. So anyway, pray for that, too, that I can learn how to do all this stuff. He who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. Shameful and disgraceful. So he's violent. He's abusive. He's plundering. Why is he driving them away? What is it that he's hoping to achieve? Well, he's he's plundering. He's he's tired of waiting for the inheritance, and so uh, let's just uh, let's just take it by you know that they've they've lived long enough, and uh, so it's my turn, and that's the that's the uh, the violence that we see here. And we see it in in different passages also connected to this. The tandem of these two terms between the shame and the disgrace, and um, not wanting to. This comes up. Uh, Next chapter in Proverbs 20, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning, 
will not be blessed in the end. So uh, an inheritance gained hurriedly. You know, are you are you eager to to receive it? Is is tomorrow too soon? <laughs> is uh, you know, uh, or you know, are you are you tired of waiting? Because man, the old man he just won't he won't die already. Wait, how long does this take? And uh, you, you can understand this. And at least the the prodigal son who wanted his share. And then he just took off to, to have fun and party and, and do whatever. At least he wasn't, he was shameful, but he wasn't violent and abusive. He wasn't physically harming his, his dad. And uh, he just made the request and his dad granted it. Now, who knows if, uh, if he would have gotten violent after that. Um, you know, the, the parable doesn't exactly go into that kind of detail, but, uh, Yes, clearly, uh, it's, this is not a good circumstance if you are in a hurry to obtain your, your inheritance and you succeed. <laughs> not only were you impatient, but your impatience actually allowed you to accomplish the, uh, the uh, inheritance. So however else that happened, however, uh, the, the father's death was, was, and you don't have to, you don't have to kill both parents in the, in the, uh, ancient world. All you needed to, to kill was your dad. And, uh, and, uh, because the, the estate doesn't go to the wife or the wives or the concubines or whatever, the, uh, the inheritance goes to the sons. And so that's why he's, uh, violent to the father and driving the mother away because the son, once he does inherit, would be expected to, uh, care for his widowed mother. All right. I have a pop-up question. The passages you cited give us insight to the repulsiveness of the final result of the prodigal son. Oh yeah, I would say so. Especially given how forgiving the father was and, and, um, really the, the lesson there related to the older brother and his lack of grace. Oh, repulsive to the Pharisees. Is that a question? I don't understand the question. I'm sorry. This looks like a comment rather than a question. All right, I'm going to go back to my class. If, um, okay. That's another feature too, by the way. I don't believe once we're streaming on YouTube that there'll be those kind of, uh, those kind of interruptions because I won't be seeing the chat window in the, in the pulpit. All right, where was I? Proverbs 20, 21. Yes. Proverbs 28:24 He who robs his father or his mother and says it is not a transgression is a companion of a man who destroys. And this takes uh takes the earthly and blends it I think with the spiritual the destroyer the um we understand abaddon is the destroyer I think it's abaddon there and uh maybe not. And uh but nevertheless, robbing father or mother and, and saying, I'm fine with it. It's not a transgression. You know, it's like uh, Jesus encountered these folks and they had their Corban uh, things where they could say, sorry, it's dedicated. It's, it's uh, you know, what, what might have been yours has been dedicated to the temple. So um, and and they were using that as a manipulation to uh, to not honor their father and their mother. And Jesus called them on it and he rightly called them on it. As a, as a dodge to get out of uh, supporting their their elderly parents in that in that capacity, so the ugliness of that. 
The tandem of shame and disgrace is often found in Davidic Messianic Psalms. And uh, from Psalm 40, Psalm 70, Psalm 71. Um, Psalm 83 is not Davidic. And, um, but it is, it is uh, similar. I think it's influenced by David's writings. Let's see. I thought I was going to get through D, E, and F. I don't know what I failed to do. Let's see. I thought we were going to get to the end of the chapter today. It looks like it's going to take one more. Well, there's a D and an E. But I also want to uh, I want to look at these Davidic Psalms. Because this tandem of shame and disgrace is useful to uh, to consider. Can I rush through this in eight minutes? <laughs> All right. Um, so let me at least introduce the characters, and then we'll we'll come back to this next week. So we've seen the supreme sluggard in verse 24, the stricken scoffer, the blows on the back in verses 25 and 29, the shameful son in verse 26. We also have the unlistening unfollower in verse 27 who is actually commanded to stop listening. God says, stop listening. And uh, we'll deal with him next week. And then the worthless witness in his mocking mouth. <laughs> the, wor- the worthless witness in his mocking mouth. The Belial. And uh, what is he going to testify to in his mocking mouth? Swallowing sin. And uh, the Belial application there. All right, so that's how close we are to the end of the chapter. Didn't quite get to it this morning. Uh, so we will be able to wrap it up next week. Let's, uh, we got six minutes left. Let's go ahead and take a look at the first of these Davidic Messianic Psalms because, um, I think this is, uh, this is quite edifying for us. Psalm 40 and verse 14. Lost my Bible. Let's put it up here. We're familiar with Psalm 40. We've seen it in uh, New Testament applications. We've seen it in um, Hebrews. We've seen it in other New Testament studies. In particular, um, it's pretty much undeniable, the uh, the Messianic nature of this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Isn't that great? Every time David got brought through a test, he would sit down and write another psalm. He would just celebrate how faithful God is. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And uh, through sharing his testimony, sharing his experience, uh, multiple believers were edified. Multiple believers could add their amens. They could join in the worship. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud or to those who lapse into falsehood. So this is walking by grace through faith. This is walking by faith and not by sight. This is trusting in the Lord with all your might. And uh, this is uh, everything that we talk about with respect to the, the fear of the Lord and walking in the light. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. 
How do you add them all up? It would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened, or a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. This is um, this is a key principle, and it's applied in Hebrews, and it's applied elsewhere. We saw it was one of our studies with respect to Hesed, that God desires Hesed and not sacrifice. That uh, these are the principles that we understand for the walk of reality before the Lord. Then I said, Behold, I come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And so this is the, the faithful servant who's ready to do the work that's going to allow for the new covenant to be uh, to be placed into effect. Because that's that new covenant which is going to write the law on Israel's heart in the millennium. Well, it's already written on his heart, on, on the servant's heart. This is what qualifies him to be the mediator of the new covenant. Anyway, it's a marvelous messianic psalm. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness to the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion for me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Remember this tandem? Chesed and Ameth, your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. So that, you know, we, we understand that for what it's saying in the Old Testament reality. We can also see the, the fulfillment of that in Christ, who is grace and truth. Jesus Christ will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. And so this is a this is a, a visitation. Evil is visiting him, and he knows that he needs God. The fear of the Lord is gonna is gonna get him out of this. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together. So this is our tandem here of shame and disgrace. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Do you see what he's doing? He's this, David here is just walking in the fear of the Lord, leaving it in God's hands, trusting that uh, he's going to sleep well tonight, unvisited by evil, that he doesn't have to worry about it. He's going to go to sleep and sleep well in uh in this application let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you let those who love your salvation say continually the lord be magnified it just keeps going the whole this whole psalm is is marvelous as a uh, as a testimony as a, as a kind of a nice illustration for what uh what proverbs 19 is getting across all right well We'll do these other ones next week as well. Psalm 70, Psalm 71. Um, now, Psalm 83 is not Davidic, but it is Messianic. And I think it also touches upon these issues here as well. So it will be a blessing for us. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap up the last of these characters in uh, in Psalm 19. And uh, we'll be ready for, Psalm, uh, for Proverbs 19 and be ready for Proverbs 20 after that. All right. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the blessings we have to study to show ourselves approved. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.